0: to convey meaning. Maybe the reason why they do the things is, you know, because of a force of precedent, because indeed they've done it all, all, all the time. So, so I had been there quite a few months, but I was so agitated by this, so that I uh, uh, flew back uh, to Paris uh, and started working on a book. Uh, which came out some years later, called Rethinking Symbolism, where I was basically arguing that cultural symbolism is not in the job of conveying meanings. Uh, uh, if you want to convey meanings, there are much better means to do that, as we're doing now, for instance, speaking. Uh, the, uh, the high investment that's involved in in ritual symbols and so on, uh, uh, the interpretation of which, anyhow, is always uncertain, vague, or if, or, or if you have... A, you know, people in the society that tell you this means that, the answer itself is mysterious and calls for further interpretation. Uh, th- that can't be the reason why they do it. That can't be the function of, of, of these things. Uh, so, so, and then I can, I, 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 my argument was, it has more a, a cognitive function what, what these cultural symbols do, achieve, it is a focus attention in certain direction, evoke not mean something but evoke a number of things. So create a certain commonality of orientation, interest, values among people without having any uh, signification properly speaking. Uh, and that got me into cognitive science, uh, um, which was then uh, so the, the book came out in '75. It was very much at the beginning. I mean, the official beginning was in the late 50s, early 60s, but uh, uh, at, at that time there was little cognitive science, especially compared to what came out after, and practically none of it was about higher you know, cognitive processes. Uh, uh, so, so Issues of you know, meaning of symbols were nowhere near the, the, the question that people doing cognitive psychology at the time uh, had in mind. So I got involved in um, cognitive science fairly fairly intensely, and I'd been involved also uh, in in study of human communication, particularly language. Part of the reason is, you know, I I developed in France where Levi-Strauss was such a big influence. I was never a Levi-Straussan, but he was still the most interesting uh, anthropologist around, and he was always insisting uh, um, that that, uh, uh, language, linguistics, provided the, the model uh, for, for the study of culture, for the study of social science. So it was a uh, heydays of semiology or semiotics, the notion that it would be a kind of conceptual framework uh, that, that would uh, uh, unify uh, all these uh, human sciences and possibly even go uh, b- beyond that. So uh, because of that, I you know, studied linguistics uh, quite a bit and, and, came, and I came across uh, uh, Chomsky. Uh, in, in, in the um, uh, when I was a student at Oxford in, in, in the uh, mid-sixties. Uh, and that kind of broke down the uh, Levi-Straussian view because on the one hand it was much more impressive as work on language uh, than Saussure or even Jakobson, a kind of classical structuralist work. On, on the other hand, uh, Clearly, the, the kind of model that Chomsky was proposing, generative grammar, trans- transformation mm-hmm. grammar, as it was called at the time, were quite specific to language. So the notion that you find in Saussure that the model of language can be exported to talk about culture, about music, about art, about anything, didn't make sense in the case of language because it was clearly very much focused on peculiarities of, 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 of hum, hum, human languages. So, so, So at that point, uh, uh, the whole idea that uh, uh, if you wanted to have kind of unified understanding of human communication human culture human language uh, uh, all you needed was a kind of framework uh, provided by structural linguistics that was out so either you might you could decide to specialize in, or you become a student of syntax or you do have the ethnography of uh, South Ethiopia whatever, or if you had the kind of wide ambition that I had, then you, know, you had to go back to the drawing board and reaching very basic issues. So I got involved in, in linguistics too, uh, and uh, um, what happened then was that, that um, the uh, Doubts I had had about the uh, uh, um, possibility to use a simple semiotic model of cultural symbolism, which extended also to, in my work, to the study of metaphors and symbolism in language and so on, uh, uh, caused me to interact with uh, people in linguistics and philosophy of language. Who were interested in uh, uh, forms of comprehension that went beyond semantics b- beyond just getting the meaning of words as they may d- be described in a formal system but understanding how words are being used in context and the field and uh, that became uh, known uh, and developed under the name of pragmatics and that was very influenced by the uh, um, uh, english philosopher paul grice uh, uh, so, so then i worked uh, on this new approach to not just linguistic communication but communication in general, in general uh, w- with an English uh, friend and colleague, Deirdre Wilson, who was a self-linguist who studied at MIT uh, with Chomsky and others. And we developed a kind of new approach to uh, pragmatics, which was again squarely uh, grounded in cognitive science and cognitive psychology. So we insisted that the, 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 the general theme was that. Uh, um, what characterizes uh, uh, a a major challenge for human cognition is is this humans have the ability to process a very wide range of information uh, uh, through their senses and through the conceptual uh, framework that they can bring to bear uh, on on monitoring the environment and so on plus we get all this information from communication with others plus they have all this information uh, in, in memory. So now what you have is a glut. I mean, you have too much information and you have, and, and you have it way before you have you know, the standard issue that you have a glut with the internet and, and too much that's soliciting your, your, your attention. That's true for uh, pre-historical you know, men uh, in a, a traditional environment. It's, uh, we have a capacity to pay attention to many more things that we can process in a kind of intense manner that, that we can really attend to. Uh, so so the, uh, a crucial issue for cognitive efficiency for humans uh, then is to uh, um, decide which of all the information that is competing for your attention resources, both from the environment uh, and from your memory, Uh, should be actually activated, which information, background information, should be brought to bear on new information in order to get uh, the most efficient uh, uh, processing for information. So we developed what we call relevance theory, uh, uh, arguing that human cognition is geared towards the maximizing of the relevance of the input that we process. This, uh, we argued, has a consequence for communication. When we communicate, as we do now, intentionally, overtly, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, uh, um, I'm calling for your attention, I'm requesting your attention. Your attention spontaneously goes to what's relevant to you, and more relevant than, than the competition at this moment. So when I try to get somebody's attention in communicating, I'm conveying that I assume that what I'm trying to communicate is worth attention, is more relevant than anything else we could attend to at this very minute. And this, we argue, determines how you interpret Uh, in context what is intended, what is meant by the words that are being used. So the right interpretation is an interpretation which indeed will tend to confirm this expectation of relevance that every utterance uh, raises about uh, about itself. Uh, uh, And on on this basis we develop the view that that it's not that that, you know, linguistic utterances have a kind of literal meaning and that normally when you use them, you use them to convey this little meaning and then you can depart it from a you purpose know, uh, with a metaphor, or irony or, or uh, you know, uh, 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 implicit content from the, the strictly literal meaning. No, quite generally whether you speak literally or metaphorically or ironically or whatever uh, our words are not an encoding of our meaning there are a piece of evidence of our meaning from which our meaning has to be inferred. And and that meaning, uh, uh, and and, and the inference is guided by this expectation of relevance that I was mentioning before. And that meaning can go from very specific meaning, like you ask me what the time is, I look at my watch and I tell you it's uh, 6.15, to very vague meanings of, uh, oh, wow, you know, or, or, or. which can be also expressed by, by behavior, by gesture, and indeed by, by symbols, cultural symbols, where you just convey uh, uh, that relevance will be uh, achieved by orienting in a certain direction, by looking at certain things rather than others, uh, by approaching them with certain kind of expectation rather than others. So it's a, there is no there is a continuum of cases between very specific, precise meaning that you can paraphrase, and the much uh, uh, wider kind of effect which boil down to a mixture of focalization and evocation. So so I did go back to, to the field and continue doing field work, but I came back more and more in, so, so, so when you do anthropological work it's a nice job it's a nice métier I, li, I like doing it and I like the company of, of fellow anthropologists there are people who have an extraordinary curiosity and they're willing to talk about lots of kind of subjects and to listen people who've worked in some small you know, group in uh, in the Amazon or, or, or in Polynesia, and we have studied some very weird kind of local practice, and they would spend hours to listen about that and think about it and discuss it. So that's nice. I like this kind of curiosity. Uh, on the other hand, they, 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 they each specialize in their own fieldwork. They've invested years of something that they can not properly share. You can talk, you know, I can talk for two hours about my fieldwork. I spend years there. Uh, uh, a, 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 and so the, the uh, it, it's a f- in a way it's a f- quite solitary work it's not solitary because when you're in the field you always people all the time uh, but it's solitary in terms of sharing what, 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 what you've learned like you know so I was working in a sm- small group uh, of uh, farmers and weavers in the south of Ethiopia uh, uh, so typical anthropology field work up in the mountains very far from uh, you know, so so, so uh, anthropologists most nowadays they work in you know, all kinds of society, but the traditional uh, fieldwork of anthropologists was indeed a small group uh, with a very traditional kind of, of culture, uh, often a fairly simple technology, often without writing, and, and, and so on. So so and which are all you. Know, Very interesting uh, groups to study. They all have a share of human experience that uh, is rapidly vanishing, and uh, if if only because of that, it's worth trying to to document and to understand. But I I was more interested in in both theoretical issues. Most anthropologists have very little interest or even patience for theory. Um, And I was also more personally attracted by, by, by cooperative work, discussing with others, doing joint work and so on. So, so the, the work I was talking about in, in, uh, um, well, on linguistic communication with David Wilson, that involved working with somebody else, we discussed endlessly, uh, uh, and that was great. And you don't get that when you do anthropological fieldwork. Then I got involved in, 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 in experimental uh, and cognitive psychology. And again, you know, doing experimental work has a great quality that you work with. So uh, work with collaborators, you you you, you do experiments, you've got results, there's evidence which may go in favor against the kind of hypothesis you have. Well, besides, so the, the, in, so the science initially, what came the, 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 uh, behind that were a number of issues which had been uh, uh, occupying a lot of people uh, in the early and mid-20th uh, uh, century regarding what's common to all systems of communication. So you found it from, indeed, the linguistics of Saussure to the uh, cybernetics of, of and to, So it, it was a recurrent theme, trying to understand some kind of basic structure that would be common to all, all of these, on the one hand. All this was, in a way, before the cognitive revolution. So, so it was, the, the psychology involved was, if, if any psychology was involved at all, was very shallow. So we came after the cognitive revolution. We could take advantage of this much richer understanding of, of, of psychology and of the mechanism involved. Uh, uh, but actually, part of the uh, origin of cognitive psychology, of course, was the same as you know, this kind of program, the development of... Um, you know, uh, machines, uh, the the, the discovery of Turing and Church and the idea that you could uh, have uh, uh, precise mechanisms and and machines that process information. Uh, 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 But that led to a much richer way of asking the question that had been asked before. And so the work on relevance was one contribution to that. We can start thinking about communication. Either linguistic communication or cultural com- communication or what rituals, if rituals are in the business of communication, which are only to a certain degree and so on, uh, with a richer f- framework and asking more precisely about the mental cognitive mechanism that are at work. So that, that was what, uh, what 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 uh, was the basis, uh, was scientific basis uh, of, of his work. Yeah, back to Ethiopia and uh, not so much to Ethiopia itself, because I don't have much to say about that i worked on and off there between sixty nine and seventy five so i did i did a kind of regular stint of an anthrop field anthropologist i spent a bit less than two years in the fields i mean in the tribe altogether but then i just got got completely uh, 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 involved into uh, more theoretical issues coming back instead of staying in the anthropological community. I stayed with one foot in that but I was really interested in the more uh, dynamic discussions about indeed language communications, uh, naturalistic approach, evolutionary approach uh, to culture, to cognition. All that was so much more intellectually exciting. For a long time I did follow very closely work in linguistics and I was... uh, 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 very, very influenced by Chomsky and so on. I've been doing so many things that I, I, not, I've stopped following uh, you know, grammar uh, central issues of the work on central issues in linguistics a, a long time ago. I, I've, so I, I'm, if you ask me today uh, whether I agree or disagree with Chomsky, I don't even have a competence to answer that. But I, I'm very impressed by what he does. So of course he, he's, not a, he's not an anthropologist, he didn't do field work, he did study uh, more than one language, but that was not uh, his point. I think it's been uh, incredibly important, he's changed the field completely, so even people who are extremely hostile to, 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 to him in, in the field have been at least indirectly massively influenced by, by, by his work. And, and part of the intellectual excitement of Chomsky uh, was that he was asking pretty fundamental questions, so he could, you know, he related issues about uh, you know certain constructions in, in the syntax of English uh, uh, to issues of what made human beings capable of ac- acquiring language uh, uh, and, and made both these very concrete uh, uh, you know, uh, technical issues in linguistics relevant to the general f- theoretical issue and the general theoretical issue relevant to the study of a particular case that was intellectually extremely exciting I, I, it's a uh, I think it, it's been, for me, the most exciting intellectual encounter uh, has been the one with you know, So initially I started I with this interest in, in society and culture, in, in collective things. Uh, um, and, and in a way, you can say, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the classical view of what culture is, is you know, very simply, is that which is transmitted in a population. Um, not but by non-genetic means. So typically by communication, imitation, and other forms of interaction. So in the human case, um, imitation is an important factor which has been overplayed. Humans imitate better than any other animal, except maybe parrot and parrot. Have a, you know, narrow range of things that they imitate. Uh, um, so. Humans are great imitators, but much more importantly, they're great communicators. So we transmit much more via communication than we do via imitation. And so communication is the uh, vector uh, uh, through which um, culture uh, develops, is transmitted, builds, uh, evolves, and, and so on, more, more than anything else. Uh, and, and, and so my interest in communication, and that the reason why I you know, studied communication Uh, uh, with Dieter Wilson and we wrote this on on Verhalven's theory was a theory of relating cognition and communication is because I saw communication as a building block uh, as, as a c- crucial ingredient for understanding society and culture, which, in, in which it was also the idea of Levi-Strauss and, 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 and others. But therefore, they understood what communication was. Communication we understand it's what socios- the structuralist model applies to it. So I thought that was wrong. We really had to rethink communication quite radically. But my goal in doing that was to understand uh, uh, society and culture. Not to understand language, but I mean language too, but my, my main target was the understanding. So, so, and then the issue is how do you move from, from ind- first from individual cognition to the interaction between typically two individuals can be more involved in communication, and then how do you scale up uh, to what happens at the scale of populations, precisely of human groups. Uh, and uh, in those days, the social sciences were really completely divorced from the cognitive sciences uh, which were not even called cognitive science from psychology in those days and it's still true to a large extent but much less than it was then so, so, so I thought that bridge could be built uh, between the social sciences and the emerging cognitive sciences uh, that this would give us Greater insights and greater tools for understanding the social, uh, much greater than what we had before, and establish this kind of continuity between the natural and the so- social sciences, which I thought was essential uh, to-, to improving the social sciences themselves and understanding the world in which we live better. And indeed, in this work, we have better understanding. Uh, Communication, in particular, uh, played a a fairly central role. Uh, But but the the issue of how do you move from first individual psychology to communication, then to communication face-to-face, to uh, to what happens over generations in group, how do you move from uh, communication in the ordinary sense to cultural transmission? Uh, uh, is a really challenging question. Uh, a- and there, my mind was going in a much less clear way at the time, uh, we're talking about the 70s, in the same direction in which uh, Richard Dawkins was go- going when he started talking about memetics. One day, uh, an English friend of mine brought me uh, an, an issue of a new scientist where. Uh, there was a, 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 a long essay by Richard Dawkins, so, which was in, in fact the last chapter uh, of the *Selfish Gene*. The book hadn't been published yet, so so it was it was kind of selling mimetics before selling the full *Selfish Gene*. I said, "Well, that's you know great." I mean, it's uh, I found it illuminating in many ways, and it, well, I'd been arguing for in, in, again in a much more modest manner, but. Uh, uh, for, for, for similar ideas. At the same time I had from the beginning, beginning some reservations about Dokin support. But first let me say what I found really exciting there, which is an idea I was also arguing for at the time. Namely that to explain uh, 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 the success of bits of culture, of practices, of uh, rituals, as I was mentioning before, uh, of uh, 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 techniques, uh, of ideologies and so on, uh, it, you, the question was not how do they profit, how do they benefit the population uh, in, in which they evolve. The question was how do they benefit their own propagation. So Dawkins was saying that, and I, well, I think and he said it much better than I could ever have, and I that was exactly right, I thought. Uh, 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 you don't need to, to explain the success of social or cultural uh, practices uh, and so on, you don't need to assume that they owe this success to the benefit they bring to the population in which uh, uh, they, they, they evolve. Uh, it's only w- marginally that the, you know, helping your carrier is one, ways in, in one way in which uh, bits of culture can benefit themselves, but there are lots of other ways. Uh, so, so, so on the other hand, Uh, Precisely because I was involved in a fairly detailed study of how human communication works. Precisely because I was struck by the fact that communication is not a replication system. When I communicate to you, you don't get in your mind a copy of my meaning. You transform it into something else. You extract from it what's relevant to you. Uh, uh, it involved both understanding, misunderstanding. But even if you're understanding me perfectly, your goal will not to be to have a copy of what was in my mind. It will be to extract from it some thoughts of yours, uh, uh, which will have been usefully informed by mine, uh, but which will be relevant to you. So, the, the, in, in Dawkins' view of memetics, replication was a crucial element. So uh, the idea was that you could uh, uh, generalize. Uh, uh, the uh, Darwinian uh, uh, theory of selection, model of selection, uh, uh, to all kinds of replicators, that culture were, b- were bits of memes, bits of culture were, were, were replicators themselves competing with one another for sp- s- uh, space uh, in-, in our minds and in our social uh, I- I- interactions, and therefore uh, uh, the object of a, sel- select is a process of, se- of selection. What was wrong to me was that, with the the idea that that, that, uh, information in human transmission replicates. It doesn't. So so you get this kind of paradox of uh, evolutionary approach to, to culture. Which is the paradox being at the maximum at its extreme form in Dawkins' uh, mimetics, because Dawkins has a kind of the clarity of extremist views. I mean, it's, I admire that. Because he, he, uh, he, uh, Dawkins' mimetics is such a simple and clear idea, uh, what well, I think to be uh, uh, a problem with it is also more apparent. The same problem arises with most evolutionary approaches to culture. The problem is this, or we can phrase it as a paradox. Although if you look at cultures, what you see is indeed is quite a bit of stability. So the same words are being used more or less in the same sense for generations, very slow evolution of word meanings or word phonology, the same tales are being told to children one generation after the other, the same recipes are being cooked, the same laws are being followed, interpreted and employed, uh, uh, so many aspects of culture seem to involve repetition again again so you get uh, um, so, so you might think how can things stay so stable well then it has to be that they are being reproduced quite faithfully you need a high fidelity uh, uh, replication or reproduction to, uh, to explain uh, the stability of culture okay but then you look Suppose that instead of looking at cultural phenomena generally, you actually look at the micro mechanism of transmission. Indeed, communication, imitation, and so on. Uh, what happens when indeed you teach something to somebody? When uh, with what you see there, it's in fact the mechanism are there? Uh, yes, again, you know, humans are good at imitation. They're good at communication. They're better than any other animal species we know, but it doesn't result in replication ever, or very rarely, it's a very marginal case. So, as I said, when you communicate only, people don't copy in their mind what you've told them, they extract something from it. Well, if you see a, you know, you see a friend who has a beautiful recipe for the apple pie, and you imitate it, quote-unquote, well, you don't really imitate it, you look at it and you extract from it a way to do it your own way. Uh, so, so even if you take, uh, and if you can study that experimentally, and again, there's a loss of information at every step, Uh, uh, which is quite significant but even to talk about the loss of information is just on the assumption that the goal was to replicate once you understand that the goal is to extract something that's useful to the learner uh, to the imitator, to, to the addressee of communication then it's not loss of information it's a constructive aspect you construct with what others provide you something that you want and the result is that you don't replicate so how can you have this macro stability of cultural things and uh, with this micro failure to replicate. You don't have, So again, the, the, what seemed like a, a deduction, there's got to be fidelity in copying, isn't there. You look closely, and no, copying is not in most cases. You know, the only people who co- copy faithfully are people who, I know only two very clear cases. One is if you do you know, uh, 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 fake money, so you really try to copy the, the dollar bill. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and the other is a chorus line. You know, on 42nd street where we all really try to have exactly the same view the rest of human interactions involve a lot of coordination but very little copying strictly speaking uh, so, so, so the, the, uh, um, the f- at that point the, the f- there's, there's got to be something wrong with the idea which is still very widespread that what makes culture possible is faithful uh, high fidelity in copying and again an idea which is at the center in particular of Dawkins' mimetics so I've been arguing for a long time not just that the, the, what I take to be obs- plain observation that in fact high fidelity is not the normal it's not common at all and a, and a lot of things are culturally transmitted without being uh, copied in a f- faithful manner but also give a positive account of what's happening So. The, Fidelity is not the only way to assure stability. You can have stability uh, in in, in a population, in a practice, uh, not not just by by faithfully copying, but also if the transformations that everybody brings to it each time, again each person looking for what's relevant to them, if these transformations tend to converge, if you have what I call an attractor, a cultural attractor. So, so of course we can also, let me take it take the word love. So you can, you know, love is a very successful word in, in, in the English language used, you know, every day, millions of times, billions of times, I don't know. Each time the meaning is a bit different. Each time it's not, you know, the other says I love you. What does she mean exactly? Does she mean what you mean by it? Does she mean the same thing she meant yesterday? Uh, uh, so th- th- there's a whole, you know, a variety of uses which are not. There's no besides. You know, you can copy the sound of the word "love," but you cannot copy the meaning. There's nothing to copy. You don't see it. There's nothing to observe that you could copy. All you do can do is infer what the person mean when she uses the word. But if our transformations, uh, which happen all the time, instead of Going in all kinds of directions, going in a random walk, which would destroy uh, any kind of shared meaning for uh, the word love or for any other word, for that matter. If if there is a kind of this transformation tends to converge, tend to converge towards uh, 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 attractors, towards ways of thinking things which. are relevant to all to all of us, or often enough, in many not in every circumstances, then you get stability without uh, fidelity. You get it because of a convergence of transformation, rather than because of the absence of transformation, which is what fidelity would be. Uh, uh, and so, so, and you can model that also mathematically. You can you can so so this another part of my work which I've not been talking yet. Inspired precisely by the idea that we want indeed to study the evolution of culture, guided by, uh, inspired by uh, the study of biological evolution, Uh, uh, accepting uh, Dawkins' idea uh, that that the success of a cultural uh, 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 item doesn't have to be the result of a contribution it makes, the benefit it has for the biological fitness of the carriers. Uh, It's uh, indeed, in some sense, it can be parasitic in the population and successful in in, in that manner. If we want to to combine all that with a proper understanding of the micro-mechanisms of transmission, communication, imitation and other forms of interaction from which culture flows, uh, uh, then we we, we can do that with with, uh, a better understanding of the actual mechanism of transmission, of communication, of uh, the, the way consideration of, con- of the context and of relevance guide our interpretation uh, 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 and so on uh, uh, and indeed actually model uh, you know a number of building blocks of a wider project uh, in- involved in my work you're asking me what the question I'm asking I'm asking a big question which then divides into many sub-questions so the big question is again how do we get a naturalistic understanding of culture and society and for this we have to understand the micro-mechanism of, of, of communication and for this we have to understand some basic aspects of, 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 of cognition and for this we have to understand something about the evolution of, of cognition in humans. I, mean, I think the evolutionary psychology program has an important role to play in all that. Then we have to put all these things together um, plus all the things that not mentioned having to do with uh, demography, population size, uh, ecology and so on Uh, uh, and and see to what extent we can understand and possibly even model uh, population scale dynamics uh, where these mechanisms interact, play all at a population scale and help explain how uh, indeed cultures both stabilize, transform, emerge, vanish and so on. So, so that's um, a large part of the uh, program in which I've been involved. I, I do both. I, I, look, I, I really like doing experiments. As I mentioned first, I like doing experiments because I like the, co- the cooperative work that's involved in doing that. I think it's a, it's a fun kind of activity. It's intellectually very stimulating, um, and also it, it, it does uh, um, sometimes provide really important evidence. I mean, you mentioned. Overestimate uh, the evidential value of these experiments, but we, we still need need them. We really need them. Uh, so I've, I've been doing. A, I started doing experiments when I was a long time ago. I was. I've been invited at uh, we I still still uh, mostly anthropologist I've been invited by Clifford Geertz uh, at the uh, Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton, uh, 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 and. Uh, He he hoped he he would correct my mistaken ideas and and turn me into a proper uh, um, anthropologist in in his style. But I was too stubborn and too attracted by more naturalistic approaches. But I enjoyed the time spent there. While I was there, I went regularly to university. I met George Miller. Uh, and that's what I found him a, a wonderful person. And so, the first thing he asked me, same kind of thing you're asking me, what I was working on, what question I, uh, I was working on, and that day I'd been working actually with Derek uh, Wilson on irony. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, and, well, I won't go into account of irony, but he asked me, but you know, well, the ideas have, are they experimentally testable? and I started thinking I said okay let me think of something and I uh, you know, went back the next day and said we could do these experiments which you know if our account is right should produce these results and if a more classical view of iron is right should produce these other results and we did the experiments and published them and, it, and then it started a kind of really new uh, cottage industry of experimental study of, of industry from these experiments so these were my first uh, uh, my first work, uh, experimental work in psychology, and starting with uh, George Miller was not a bad start. So it was fairly inspiring, uh, and, I, I, and I went on doing that on, on, on and on. Uh, uh, experiments I did later were, were on, on reasoning, which uh, I also found an, an exciting topic. So, so again, the, the, you're asking how much of my this come from? No, not nothing. Nothing comes uh, 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 bottom up. It's never the f- 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 case for me, and I think f- f- rarely the case for anybody, that you gather so much evidence and data that somehow an idea emerges. It's rather, you know, m- 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 more important. There's a part of bottom up uh, aspect of the world, but more important is the top down, where indeed you have hunches, uh, which may come, you may call that intuitions, you may call that whatever. I, mean, I think it's luck. You you're hit on a good idea. I mean, uh, other people are just as bright and smart as you, have the bad luck of hitting on a bad idea. They invest a lot on the bad idea, they don't get anywhere. If you have been lucky enough to invest, to hit on a good idea, uh, then indeed you'll find confirming evidence, good evidence, interesting experiments to do. Uh, It will start explaining lots of things, so you you can get all the benefits of of, of good ideas. Uh, but, But initially, I don't. I think we're cropping in the dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, well, let me actually go, go back, a, a, I'll be there in a minute, but yeah. so, so as I said, so I started doing experimental work on, on linked to the work on relevance, on communication, irony, and so on. Uh, um, and uh, then I became supervisor of a, of a, for a, 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 Italian psychologist who has been working on reasoning and we started arguing about uh, his findings and I was arguing that a lot of the findings came had to do with precisely relevance so people seemed to be mis- mis- making logical mistakes in reasoning but what they were doing was precisely to transform the input they were presented with in a way which would be relevant to them mm-hmm. uh, and so we did a lot of experiments uh, uh, going in that direction and got involved in experiment work uh, 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 on reasoning and part of the uh, besides the fun of doing that part of the reason why it, it mattered to me is because clearly one of the factors if you want to explain both social interaction and, and cultural contents reason, reasoning plays a very important role it plays a role in, in, in uh, uh, conversion, I was talking about you know, conversion transformation one way we converge is by reasoning together or by exchanging reasons and, and coming to see things in the same way. It doesn't always work but uh, it's still a a, a strong factor and and I've been uh, uh, indeed uh, informed for for that in a fairly speculative manner thinking that standard approaches to reasoning uh, uh, were mistaken uh, and to reason because they were basically seeing that as a kind of individual adaptation, some way to enhance your own individual cognition and that didn't make uh, m- 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 much sense a- a- and uh, uh, it, it precisely this exchange of reasons uh, using reasons to produce argument to convince others and, and establish some convergence of goals or ideas and so on uh, uh, made more sense especially since uh, sometimes you can convince others just by authority and because you have authority and they trust you but when they don't or they don't on the topics on which you would like to 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 convince them. Uh, Does it mean that there is nothing you can do? No, you can still precisely tend to overcome uh, the limits of trust by producing arguments. Arguments are things are kind of honest displays, are things that they can evaluate on their own merits. And if they find that they are are worthwhile, then they will possibly uh, be convinced by what you are saying. So after you, you were, uh, so, so then Hugo Mercier came as a student to work with me, and decided he liked the idea and proposed to do his PhD on, on by developing this theme, which he did splendidly, going way beyond what I had envisaged, uh, both in deepening the ideas and, and and gathering so much good evidence for it. And then we were you know, preparing papers and so on, and this uh, and, and this and what happened was this uh, indeed weird thing that. Uh, 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 It got picked up even in the New York Times through uh, the EDGE EDGE meeting that you were alluding to uh, uh, but also with a big big misunderstanding. So our success was based, the success of the argumentative theory of reasoning was in good part based on a misunderstanding. The misunderstanding being uh, that we were taken to be saying "Ah, you think reason is to get uh, more clever, more intelligent or discover the truth but that's not what it is for, it's basically to persuade others who wouldn't be persuaded otherwise. It's a way to, to manipulate other people. Kind kind of cynical view uh, of what re- reason and reasoning is about. Uh, uh, and there's uh, clearly an attraction to, to thinking uh, uh, you know, people are naive and they think that reason is a pursuit of the truth, but I know better. It's uh, it's a way to manipulate. Uh, and uh, people who think that, of course, think their own reason is good. But they, So it's, they apply to others this cynical view. Uh, um, this cynical view doesn't make any, any sense. It doesn't make any evolutionary sense. Why would, uh, so if you, why would uh, something evolve to manipulate others uh, and, and not, in others, a uh, defense evolve uh, not to be manipulated? You know, it, it, that, it, that, it doesn't work like that. It's in, in this kind of interaction where one can benefit from, uh, by causing some harm to others, the others will, uh, some you know, countermeasure will, will evolve, you'll have an arm race. So, so our argument was f- on the one hand, re- uh, reasoning uh, evolved to produce arguments to convince others, but this works because it also evolved to produce each one of us with the means to evaluate the arguments that others propose, so as to in fact g- gain uh, from the ideas of others, which we would not accept on trust when others are able to, you know, argue for them and pre- present good reason why we should accept them. So, so it's. Uh, it's a more uh, um, balanced kind of thing, which emerges in the kind of ar- armories of. Uh, 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 w- but it, if it stabilizes as a, as a, from an evolutionary point of view, uh, it's got to be uh, b- beneficial uh, on both sides, otherwise one of the sides, you know, people would stop listening to arguments or people would stop producing them. So we, we, we have this. So this work had this kind of uh, success based partly on misunderstanding. Uh, uh, but quite surprising success. I'm, I'm used to uh, my work as, uh, you know, I I'm, I'm cannot complain, it's because I had an impact and all that, but very much within the scholarly community. It's first time I had an article on, on that work in, in, in the general press, in New York Times, it in The Guardian, Corrier de la Serre, and places like that. So the argumentative theory, which John Haidt had uh, liked, and, uh, which had both been successful and misunderstood, became only part of our, our project because what, what the argumentative theory develops is an answer to the question what is the function of reasoning But it says nothing about the mechanisms and in the things we wrote we had some illusions about the mechanism and in working on the book uh, that part got we, we started working on that and developing quite thoroughly uh, uh, and so na- now, uh, w- w- there's a, uh, a w- what was initially a theory of reasoning and argumentation has become a theory of reason, not just reasoning, mm-hmm. uh, 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 and not just on its of its function, but also of its mechanism. Uh, and one way to to think about the issue is this: there's something very weird uh, about. Traditional uh, and, and even con- uh, you know, today's approach uh, uh, to, to reason, because on the one hand, you know, from Aristotle whose reason is what makes humans superior to other animals, and this has been uh, repeated at nauseum. As before Darwin, you know, humans were more, not only disposed to think that they were superior to all the animals, but anything that would confirm that, however, how much you could, uh, the more. Difference you could show between humans and other animals was welcome. So we had this capacity, reasons that other animals don't have, and that sets us completely apart from them. After Darwin, where the animality of humans becomes uh, uh, totally uh, evident, and where radical discontinuities become very puzzling, then suddenly it's as if human had a kind of superpower which doesn't seem to fit anywhere in the rest of our nature, including in uh, the, our, our cognitive capacities, uh, you know, from perception to all, uh, you know, uh, unconscious inference, uh, motor control, the kind of things that we share with so, so, so many other animals. So it's as if it's a bit like we're like Superman or Spiderman, there we are the only animals, and plus we're this kind of plugged you know, plug in us, it's this huge, surprising, fantastic capacity that only uh, we have. Uh, And that cannot be right. Uh, It's a comparison one can make, actually we are talking about Dawkins. Dawkins had once uh, a nice article about why don't animals uh, have wheels. So you might think wheels would be a nice adaptation, why didn't evolve. Well at first it probably wouldn't be such a good adaptation because it would be useful in very specific terrains. On most terrains you can't, you know, wheels won't help you. But even so there might be animals who are living on a terrain where wheels would be very, very handy. So why didn't they evolve? Well, you know, there, there are, it's not that it's inconceivable, it's that the, 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 the uh, design problems are very, very specific, and there are no in-between steps that would be each be adaptive. So how do you go from a non-wheeled animal to a wheel animal? It, it, uh, it can be only for a series of so improbable steps uh, uh, that it never happened on Earth. Maybe there's some Okay. Uh, um, in, in the case of reason, seen as this kind of superpower, uh, 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 you know, which is supposed to exist only in one species, human, you, 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 you have a very weird problem because reasons as is described as a way to enhance cognition would be useful not just to humans but to lot of other, other kinds of, uh, of uh, other species, not all of them but investing massively in cognition the way humans have could, could be advantageous to other species but, 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 but uh, 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 so that's one puzzle or you know, enigma proposed by this view of reason. The, the second enigma. Uh, the a, 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 a second puzzle is psychologists uh, we are talking about you know, Kahneman Trotsky, and, and and many others and Peter Weiss and so on uh, have described uh, uh, reason as being flawed, as making mistakes, egregious, egregious mistakes all the time. So on the one it's a superpower, but a superpower that doesn't work properly, that makes even less sense. Uh, 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 so the, you have this double uh, a paradox of having uh, a, a superpower that doesn't fit uh, uh, in, in an evolutionary perspective in any cl- clear sense uh, and that moreover uh, doesn't even deliver what is supposed to, to, to deliver. Uh, uh, so, so what we set out to do uh, is resolve the enigma, uh, the double enigma, uh, and first by showing how in fact uh, human reason fits perfectly well among other cognitive capacities. You know. F- first, of all, it fits pretty well among other cognitive capacities. So-, so, reasoning is only one form of inference among others. Inference, the capacity to use inf- you know, some input information to derive further consequences that are not given but that you can draw on the basis so of, It's not something that not just humans do but all animals do. Uh, uh, uh they, they guide the action on that basis uh, cognition in general is inferential perception inferential the, the, the way we use uh, you know the uh, activation of our betina to infer properties of the object that has caused this activation by reflecting light is uh, inferential the way we uh, guide our bodily movements is inferential we draw inference all the time and not just we but you know uh, 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 insects uh, slugs, birds, whatever, they all do all the time, That's, you know, uh, any, uh, any organism that locomotes, that moves around, couldn't do that without uh, doing inferences, uh, you know, plants stay put, so, so they, don't need, they don't need cognition, they're in the same place, they don't take the risk of moving, uh, moving is a mixture of, uh, provides new opportunities, but also huge risks. The, the, to be, benefit from from the opportunity you need cognition and and you need to infer precisely what's beyond what is uh, at, at your skin surface so so inference is is there all, 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 all around so so what's by, what, what, in which way is reason different from other for, 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 for forms of inference in the literature you get people are, i think you you, it's, you have one that felt okay uh, um in the literature, it's, uh, you get some people who don't even see the difference and assume that animals reason too, and the capacity to do logical inference must be present in lowly animals as it is in us, and others who assume that they are completely separated capacities. Uh, uh, what I want to do is kind of contrast the approach we're developing. Uh, with one which is dominant today which is a kind of dual process or dual system approach defended in particular by Danny Kahneman but also by by others like Stanovich or Evans and so on Uh, and and according to which uh, the enigma of uh, reason as I described it before uh, can be solved by assuming that two kinds of processes are involved uh, in, in inference one kind that we share with other animals, another which is more specifically human so first there is a, a more basic kind, of, you know, type 1 process or system uh, which is in a sense just intuition, kind of automatic uh, systems that operate fairly uh, spontaneously uh, that use heuristics that uh, generally work but that are not uh, fully warranted from a logical or epistemological point of view uh, and that other animals uh, use also, uh, um, and on which we rely most of the time because they also uh, uh, rec- take less time, less energy, less investment. So, they are a, 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 a good basic way of approaching uh, everyday tasks of inference, which go from not banging into furniture when you walk around uh, to knowing how to talk to one person and to another, and so on and so on. Uh, um, When this uh, doesn't fully work or when we meet a problem that we cannot properly approach like that, then we have a higher order reasoning proper uh, or type 2 kind of system of process uh, which involves applying rules, doing things in a more self-conscious manner, uh, more slowly uh, 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 and in a way which is more linked to uh, proper justifications of an epistemical or logical nature uh, uh, so, so the, uh, if you assume that there is such a partition uh, between two systems uh, used in inference intuition and reasoning to, to, to make it short uh, uh, then you can explain uh, uh, first the apparent uh, flaws of, of reasons the fact that in many, so many experiments people make these egregious mistakes uh, uh, that, that Fersky and Kamlan have so well documented uh, uh, um, by assuming that these mistakes are guided by type 1 kind of systems but by the more intuitive kind of it's not geared to handling uh, untypical problems um, it can be tricked and tripped in so many different ways and so all the failures that you find in the literature of reasoning all the kind of cognitive illusions that you find uh, are due to the fact that what you get is the output of system one of intuition uh, the other system is a more painstakingly acquired system as I said of full governed capacities and so on uh, uh, but we are capable of deploying it uh, 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 when the investment I- 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 is worth it and that gives us this kind of relatively superior power which may not be as superior as uh, classical philosophers or Aristotle assumed uh, But the the, the possession of which is very much linked to the possession of language, uh, uh, the possibility therefore to think about thoughts, to have higher the thoughts, and so on. So, so, so that's the view. It's very uh, uh, in the literature. It's very sketchy, and it's um, it's there are many versions, and it's being readjusted all the time. So, for instance, more and more it's been recognized that. Reasoning, the higher uh, system actually makes mistakes too, so it's not that good. And intuition actually often is even better than reasoning. So you know the notion that you one explains the mistake, the other the success, doesn't work so 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 so, so well. Uh, 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 and the actual workings of reason proper are still vastly mysterious. So what we did, we, we deny that. We we took an alternative route. Uh, uh, so, so we don't think that there are two systems. What we think is that int, int, intuition maybe, uh, f, uh, uh, is based on not on one system, we don't have a faculty of intuition, it's based on a great variety of cognitive mechanisms, uh, some of which are, have a strong innate basis, others have to do more with, uh, with acquisition of uh, competences in, in the course of cognitive development. Uh, uh, and uh, um the the which are in a sense moderate there are many autonomous uh, systems being involved. some of these uh, uh, mechanism of intuition uh, are not just intuition about facts in the world about space about time about uh, uh, solid objects about uh, living creatures and so on, so on, which again we share with other animals, but, and this is more typically humans, uh, have, have intuitions about, our second order intuitions, intuition about representations, or meta representation intuitions. So we have intuitions about, for instance, the meaning of words, the truth or falsity of ideas, about what other people may think. So we have intuitions about not just objects in the world, but how they are represented. Uh, in the mind of others, in our own mind, in abstract ideas, and so on. So, so this is still the domain of intuitions. Like other systems, it's a system that's highly specialized. It works on a very special kind of object, namely representations. Not that many. But, you know, most things in the world are not representations. representations occur uh, inside and in the vicinity uh, of uh, animals which are, who have, uh, which have a cognitive, a cognitive system. Uh, uh, so most of the world is representation-free, so to speak. So we have a specialized system to have intuitions, a variety of intuitions, or mechanisms uh, uh, to develop intuitions about representations. Among the, the intuitions we may have about representations are reasons, intuitions about reasons for representations. we trust intuitions like other uh, uh, intuitions but, but the, the, in having intuitions uh, about reasons for a presentation uh, uh, we uh, develop a kind of capacity which can be used in a variety of ways How, what makes reasons uh, 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 of any relevance to us in our own individual thinking reasons don't matter very much, we trust ourselves In any case, you have to rely on your own cognition, so you don't need to look for reasons for what you intuitively believe, if you intuitively believe, that's it, but if we want to communicate to others what we believe, and they don't have the same intuitions, then if we can share our intuitions about the reason for believing it if we cannot directly share intuition about the objects of our belief directly then we may end up indeed converging or we also have other use of reason which don't have to do with argumentation or convincing others we, uh, we have reasons which are more of a retrospective character we use reason to justify ourselves so while we interact with one another, we depend on our good reputation with others or willingness of others to interact, cooperate with us in a variety of ways and for that, they have to think that the way we behave makes us reliable partners. Uh, uh, uh. And one way, t- but this, you know, the evidence they have is from what they do, which can be interpreted in a variety of ways. So, when we, we provide reasons for what we did, for our actions and our thoughts, uh, not so much to convince others to adopt the same thoughts or behave in the same way, but to show that we had good reasons for doing it. So, reasons uh, have two functions. One is to justify ourselves, and the other is to convince others. Uh, And reason, the ability, the capacity of reason, uh, first, is an intuitive mechanism among others. It's intuition about reasons, and it serves two main functions. One function is that of the uh, argumentative function, which we had developed in our earlier work about the argumentative theory of of reasoning. And the other is the justificatory function. So basically what we're arguing is, there is no division between intuition and reasoning, reasoning is just a certain use of intuitions about reasons, it's intuitive, reason is just as intuitive as all the rest. it is, it doesn't stand in contrast to another kind of system, it's one particular kind of uh, uh, intuition uh, which plays indeed a very important role, but it's just as if you said, oh you know, uh, uh, if you took another kind of intuition, say intuition about emotions or aesthetic emotions you say oh that's completely different from other intuition, other world. yes it, plays, it has a certain uh, uh, particular role as do any specialized uh, in, in, in intuitions but it's not a second system, it's one mechanism of intuition among many others which in the case of intuitions about reason play indeed an important, very important role in, in, in human interaction so our argument is that uh, um, the enigma of reason gets resolved basically in the following manner. To begin with, uh, 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 there is no superpower. We have uh, uh, human beings, have in, like other animals, have lots of I- mechanisms of intuitive inference. Moreover, in the ontology, the kind of thing they recognize in the world are representations, and few if any other animals do that, so we have the ability to represent representation, to think about them, to have intuitions about them, but it's still like an intuitive capacity, it's not a new type of capacity, it's just a new kind of object that we're capable of thinking about, Um, but having objects that are specific to species to think about or to use in cognition is is not only the humans, so animals that have echolocation uh, can use a certain kind of sound to guide themselves and that's and, uh, which is still uh, an ordinary basic cognitive mechanism which exploits a certain type of evidence from the world so we exploit uh, 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 evidential relationship uh, 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 reasons uh, uh, in our uh, cognitive work. Uh, so, so, so first it's not a second system it's just an ordinary cognitive capacity among others which has important implications for our interaction because that's what drove its very evolution is precisely the ability to understand others, to uh, justify ourselves in the eyes of others, to convince them of our ideas, to be, to accept, to evaluate the justification and the arguments that others give, and and be convinced by them or not. Uh, so, so, so this role in human interaction of reason is, we say, we argue, the sense of of, of reason. So, contrary to the standard view of reason. Uh, uh, as a capacity that enhances the individual uh, I- in his or her cognitive uh, capacities. You know, the image of Rodin's thinker you know, uh, on, his own, on his own thinking, discovering new ideas and so on. Instead of that, what we say, no, no it's, it's the basic uh, functions of reason are social. They have to do with the fact that we interact, and we interact uh, in part with each other's body, but a lot and more importantly which is of each other's mind and to interact with others mind is to be able to represent the representations that others have to help them represent our own representations and to act on the representation of others and in some cases let or not let others act on our own uh, um, so we get this kind of integrated uh, view of, of reasoning which doesn't assign it the fantastic goal of pro- uh, unique access to knowledge that uh, at an individual level that no other species may have uh, we, act, we, we, we we think it evolved in humans and not in other species because indeed there is a specific ecological niche that humans have which is the very sociality that they themselves created, it's a niche that's created indeed by sociality and culture, by a social relationship and our culture in that niche uh, reason so understood is indeed adaptive and that's, that's how it evolved, it evolved. The, the kind of uh, uh, achievements, which are uh, uh, often cited as the proof that reason is so superior, like scientific achievements, are not achievement of the individual mind. They are not achievement of reason. They are typically product of social interactions over generations. They are social cultural products. Uh, uh, uh where many minds have to interact in complex ways and progressively correct, uh, as I was saying before, uh, uh, explore a lot of directions which they hit not because some are more reasonable uh, than others but because some are more lucky than others in what they they hit and then use a reason to defend what they hit by by, by luck and so the the, the achievements, what are supposed to be the achievements of human reasons are, are collective achievements uh, individual, uh, you know, reason is a remarkable cognitive capacity, as are so many other cognitive capacity in humans and animals. But it's not a superpower, it's, it's well integrated in, in, in an animal mind, ours, uh, uh, and it's well adapted to the special niche in, in which this particular animal, humans, live. So, what it says is System 1, System 2 is kind of trying to salvage something on the ruins. Of, of a state of psychology of reasoning as it has developed in the past 50 years. It hit on a number of difficulties. Uh, uh, it showed that a number of directions that had seemed obvious were in, fe- in fact blind alleys, uh, uh, dead ends. Uh, uh, and, and so it a- ended up with having problems and no solution, and sorting uh, the evidence with the idea of two systems, system 1, system 2, at least seemed to be a step in the, in the right direction. Uh, uh, but while it provided or seemed to provide a way to explain why such a capacity as reason might so much malfunction, as experimental psychology has, has shown it does, uh, it didn't solve the other aspect of the enigma. Where, you know, where does this unique superpower come from? So, if, if, if instead of having, you know, reason as a whole uh, be the superpower, we just have, you know. Uh, the system 2 being the superpower, it's still kind of highly mysterious. Uh, 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 so, there are a number of you know, nice gestures, hand wavings in a plausible direction. But what, what we're, I think we're suggesting is, is uh, 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 at least more precise, and let me be modest, uh, uh, more precise hand waving, uh, leading to uh, uh, unexpected predictions which are experimentally testable. Uh, 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 and, and making more sense, uh, uh, both of the psychological evidence uh, uh, and, and the evidence of the role of reason in human affairs, in interaction with the development of science, the development of negotiation of politics, and so on. Uh, so, 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 rather than having kind of paradox, how can people, uh, 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 you know, use reason uh, to defend absurd ideas, as we see happen all the, all, all the time? This is exactly part of what we assume is going to happen. It's not there's nothing particularly mysterious about it, so so, you know then the devil is in the details, which we're not going to explore now. Uh, uh, But it is a a, a, a right or wrong. It is a novel approach uh, to to human reason. I think it's that would actually even make me guess that we must be wrong, because I think it's deeply novel. And probably if if you have a deeply novel idea, probably it's a wrong idea. Uh, uh, but it's it's really at, at odds both with classical views of, of of reason and reasoning, and indeed with this more recent development with uh, like dual system theory. Indeed, the view that I would defend also on other grounds is it's 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 either one or two. It's a it's a multitude of of uh, uh, devices, mental devices that contribute to our cogn- uh, cognition. They, 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 they are, uh, many uh, subsystems uh, not two uh, but dozens or hundreds or thousands of little mechanisms that are highly specialized and that interact in, in our brain uh, to, to produce our cognition it's obvious when you talk about perception nobody doubts that this is the case say, with visual perception